John chapter 1. Let's take a look here and we'll read and then we'll, we'll look at what the Lord has for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us today. Lord, we thank you for allowing us, God, to be in your house. Lord, thank you, Lord, for allowing us, God, to be gathered together with your people. And Lord, I pray, God, that you'd speak to us, pray you'd deal with our hearts and help us, God, Lord, in the Sunday school hour. God, I pray that you'd help us in the morning service. And God, just deal with us, God, Lord. We love you and we thank you, Lord, for sending your son to die for us. God, thank you, Lord, for all the many blessings, Lord, that you've given to us. And God, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you'd help us, God, to recognize those things, Lord, and to be appreciative of them. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 1, look in verse 1 this morning. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I don't think there's any contest in your mind about who that is. If you've got a King James Bible, that word, Word is capitalized, and so that's a proper noun. That is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, I thought Jesus' name was Jesus. It is, but it was, that was his name after he was born as a man. His name in eternity is the Word. And when he comes back at the second advent, Revelation chapter 19, he gets his original name back. It's the Word. That's the Word. But anyways, verse 2, the Bible says, The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Uh, that's a wild statement. That, that statement says that God, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. John chapter 1, verse 3 says, in the beginning Jesus made it all. You say that's a contradiction. No, sir. It's not a contradiction. All it means is that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh, like he said in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. I don't know why people get so quiet about that kind of stuff. Uh, you start talking about matters of Jesus Christ being deity and Jesus Christ being God manifest in the flesh, and this, the doctrine of the Trinity, which is true, that is a true doctrine. The doctrine of the Trinity is a true doctrine. But it, it's been emphasized, I guess. I, I'm really beginning to take a stab in the dark as to what, what all's going on. Somebody's having a good time back here like a typical Baptist. We'll just kind of put some cotton underneath the door or something. Uh, but I suppose what's going on is that people have had the Trinity emphasized so long that when you make a statement along the lines of Jesus Christ is God, what do you mean by that? I mean exactly what I said. Jesus Christ is God. He's as much God. Well, I'm, I'm going to step out on thin ice here. He's as much God as God the Father. He's as much God as God the Holy Ghost. You say, but he was a man. But he was God. You say, how do you know that? Uh, how about the resurrection? Romans chapter 1 says the way that you know that Jesus Christ was God is by the spirit of holiness and by the power of resurrection. I don't know of anybody that's ever come up from the grave by their own power. You ever met one? If, if you know somebody, I'd like for you to come tell me after service. Not right now. I'm not interested in a dialogue during Sunday school. Uh, but if you know somebody, I'd like to meet them because i got a lot of questions for them. They can probably answer some questions that i got. Tell me why my wife does some of the things that she does. I've been praying about that for a long time, and I still ain't got no answer from the Lord. 
Uh, anyways, that's funny to me. <clears throat> and my wife. My wife even laughed. Praise the Lord. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, again, capital L, proper, proper noun. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And I say this as applying to you as a Christian. You're not the light. You're sitting in here and you trusted Christ as your Savior. You're not the light. Jesus is the light. But you've, you've been called to bear witness of that light. You say, oh, no, not me, Brother Nathan. I'm not good at witnessing. You're, you're only not good at it because you don't do it on a regular basis. Amen. I bet when Brother Chris started picking up trash, uh, he probably wasn't all that great at it on day one. When I started working in the investigations office at the prison on day one, all I knew how, all I knew how to do was to count particular things. First day I walked in there, my boss handed me about 46 pages, and he said, I need you to count every inmate on this page. Why? <laughs> of course, I didn't say that. This is my first day. I didn't say that even after 100 days of working there. I just did what I was told. But in my mind, I was thinking, why? One, two, three, and after I got about after 10, I started struggling a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, wherever we was going with that. It, but see, you're not, you're not called to be the light. You're called to bear witness. I, I said all of that to say that when you first start out doing some things, you're not all that great at it. But you start doing it, and you get better, and you get better, and you get better. I just don't feel like I'm, I'm a great witness. Well, do it more. Oh, man, you, you get acclimated. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And that's exactly what he does. He lights every man. Every man. Listen, when, when every man stands before God at the great white throne of judgment, when every man, and when I, I say every man, I'm talking about every man that hasn't trusted Christ as their Savior. If you trusted Christ as your Savior, you don't go to the great white throne. You go to the judgment seat of Christ. But if you reject Christ as your Savior, you're still going to stand before the great judge at the great white throne. After all, all of time is said and done away with, after the millennial reign of Christ, you're going to stand before God. And when you stand before God, you will not be able to say, I didn't know. Because the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the light that lights every man that comes into the world. Boy, you live in this day and age. You live in what we call the church age. We, we, some people call it the age of grace. I shun from saying that because every age is an age of grace. But you live in, uh, in the age of the church, the church, which is his body. Uh, boy, the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. And then on top of that, not only living in the age of the church, the church age, but you're living in the United States of America and have as much exposure to preaching and teaching of God's book like you have, and then try to stand at the great white throne of judgment and look God, your maker, in the face and say, well, I didn't know. I don't think you're going to have enough guts to be able to try and lie to him that way. The God that, who is passing your sentence and passing your judgment, and you know that it's just judgment, 
and he's going to condemn you to eternal death, hell, the lake of fire. You're not going to have enough guts to look at him and say, I didn't know. Yes, sir. Whatever your condition is right now, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people that have grown up in various parts of the country and maybe not had, maybe have not been blessed as to uh, be in a church where there's been an excess amount of good, rooted, biblical, doctrinal teaching and preaching. But, man, the amount of people that have lived in the United States and have been exposed to the gospel somewhere in their life, little Sunday school teacher, assistant pastor, a bus worker, vacation Bible school, I can't tell you how many kids I know that have gone to vacation Bible school and made a profession of faith, and it's almost like you hardly ever see them again. But all I know is that if they genuinely trusted Christ as their Savior, they're saved. But you know, the amount of people that have had that exposure here in the United States, and I'm sure in other parts of the, of the world, but I'm just talking about Americans because that's what we're familiar with. And you get exposed to that kind of stuff year after year after year, and then you're going to stand before the maker of the entire universe and say, I didn't know. No, sir. I, no, sir. You're in trouble. If you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, you're in trouble. You're in trouble, especially having sat in the church for a good portion of your life. You, you're in trouble. He's the light that lights every man that comes into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Their maker was standing right in front of them. They had no idea who he was. That should horrify you. That should horrify you. Uh, God could be doing something right in your midst and you not know it, who, who he is, not know who's doing it. Yes, sir. That would make you, make you nervous, should make you nervous. Now look here in verse 11. He said, the Bible said, He came unto his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I like that verse. Uh, the more I think about it and the more I mull on it, boy, the more I really enjoy it. He said, as many as received him, to them gave he power. He gave him power. As many as received him, to them gave he power. Uh, Jesus Christ gave people power. You know what Christianity is? It's a religion of power. Uh, Wednesday night we went over the, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and uh, any man, uh, any individual, I guess I, could, I should say, that can get up from the grave by his own power, he's got power. We looked at the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and chapter 7, but chapter 8 talks about how that in the day of your death, when death comes knocking at your door, you're not going to have any influence over whether or not you get to stay alive or whether you get to go. You don't, you, you know, death comes knocking at your door, say, hey, it's time. And you say, well, I'm not ready. <laughs> death shrugs its shoulders and says, it don't matter. It's time. It's over. And, you know, they usually paint that up. They, the, they paint death as a character. Uh, you know, the, the Grim Reaper got this thing, and my kids, you know, look at some of those chick tracks, and it's got the Grim Reaper in there. And, Who is that? <laughs> it's death. Uh, yeah, man. But when, when death comes knocking at your door, uh, you ain't got no power. Uh, Jesus Christ laid his life down, subjected himself to the power of death, and then after three days took up his own life again. That's power. 
That's a religion of power. That's why when you come into the church, when you come into a Bible-believing church, and I didn't say Baptist, which we are Baptist and I'm not ashamed of, but when you come into a church, that's why when you come into a church, when you see a cross, you don't see a dead Jesus hanging on the cross. You say, why? Because that, that is not where our religion ends. Death of Jesus Christ is extremely important. It's very important. Without the death of Christ, you couldn't have the resurrection of Christ. But if all you have is the death of Jesus Christ without the resurrection, you've got a dead Savior. And your religion is not a religion of power. Yes, sir. Uh, every follower of Buddha, Buddha's dead. But what difference does that make? Brother Nathan, he's going to start making fun of other people's religion. Well, I mean, Elijah did. Jeremiah did. Jeremiah went out there and told the children of Israel, he said, your wives is out here offering, God, offering offerings to all these gods that are not answering prayers. He said, what y'all doing all that for? Kind of made the Lord a little upset. But anyways, he got in... Uh, walk in and all, all these people have all these different gods and all their gods are dead. All of the, their main religious leaders are dead. But see, that, don't, that, don't make, that doesn't do anything. What the real mark of a religion of power is, is resurrection power. Resurrection power, absolutely. And that's the characteristic of Christianity. It's a wonderful thing. Christianity is a wonderful thing. Regardless of how you may, may feel about it this morning, Christianity is wonderful. It's wonderful. Filled with sorrows and heartaches just like any other person's life is filled with sorrows and heartaches. But I'd rather go through the trouble and the heartaches of this life as a Christian. Having Jesus in my heart. Well, that's being rejected these days. Oh, you, you people talk about Jesus living in my heart. Yeah, absolutely, I sure do. Jesus is living in my heart. Absolutely. The characteristic of Christianity is that it's powerful. It's a religion of powerful, of power. And it, let me say this, it's not that way because of the quality of people that make up Christians. The reason that Christianity is a powerful religion is not because of who's sitting here this morning. Boy, Jesus, God really got something when he got me. No, well, he got something. He got something that he had to exert some power over. Yes, sir. Uh, listen, they, they Preachers often talk about, well, you know, you've got to bring Jesus your all. You know what the only thing you had to offer Jesus was when you trusted Christ? The only thing, the only thing that you had to offer Jesus was your iniquity. That's it. Yes, sir. I'm going to get saved and I'm going to serve God by singing. No, uh, you come to this church and we'll make sure, if you've got that attitude, we'll make sure that you're especially the one who doesn't sing. That's just the way that it is. You know what's wrong with a lot of people? They've never been humbled. And listen, whether you got any humility before me is not the question. I, one fallen head dealing with another fallen head. I, I am like you in the, in the sense that I am a sinner just like you. In, in that sense, we're the same. But some people have never been humbled before the God that they say saved them. Yes, sir. And it comes out, it comes out in their speech, it comes out in their conduct, it comes out in their, in their character. Uh, just me, 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 me. I'm not singing. 
I'm not singing the scale. Me, 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 me. That's what a lot of people talk about. It's just me, 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 me. How come you don't ever talk about Jesus, 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 Jesus? Jesus is the sweetest name I know. You say, that's a song, and you're just saying a song. Well, it is a song, but I'm not saying it just because it's the song. It's because it's true. Jesus Christ is the sweetest name I know. Nathan is not the sweetest name I know. Of course, I am pretty partial to that name. But it's not the sweetest name I know. Heidi, I love my wife, but that's not the sweetest name I know. If you got any sense, unless you're a Mexican, you usually don't name your children Jesus. I recognize that a lot of Hispanics, they name their children Jesus. Of course, if I was a Hispanic, I'm not sure I'd even do that. I guess that grieved you. It just, I'm just saying it is what it is. You say, why? Because that's a special name. Would you, would you name your kid Jezebel? My wife had a dog one time that she named Jezebel. I think, I think that dog ate your comforter, comforter, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Praise the Lord. That's what you get for naming your kid. Uh, name your dog Judas. Let's see how that works out for you. Yeah, I don't, 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 Jesus Christ is a special name. It's a special name. Uh, what makes up great Christ, uh, the, the body of Christ, what makes this body so wonderful, what makes Christianity so wonderful is not the people that got into it. Jesus makes it wonderful. Uh, Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you're welcome to turn there. I'm not going to be there for very long. But Paul gives a list of people that were at one time lost and then they got saved. You say, who are those people? Who are those people that were once sinners but then were uh, put into the body of Christ? Well, let me read the list to you. He said they're fornicators, they're idolaters, they're adulterers, effeminate, 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 effeminate. You say, why are you hanging out there? Because the Bible says that if you're effeminate, you need to get saved and God will deliver you from that. It says right there. The Bible says effeminacy is in the same list. God puts effeminacy in the same list as fornicators and idolaters and adulterers. You say, where are you reading from? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. You go there and look if you, want, if you don't believe me. But he says, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. That's a pretty broad list. But verse 10, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards nor revilers, nor extortioners. That's somebody trying to get something out of somebody. Going to put them into a situation to where you're going to try and get something out of them. God said, God, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and he said, that's what some of you were. But he said, now you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You reckon there's any power with those people being in that way that they were? No, sir. There ain't no power with those people. You say, where's the power? The power lies in the fact that God would take unworthy wretches like what we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and God would turn their life around. You say, how? By the power of God. By the power of His Word. Uh, God will deliver people. Problem is finding folks that want to be delivered. 
Yes, sir. The power is found in the head of the church. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus Christ, at the end of the book of Matthew, he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. It's all mine. All power, it's mine. It's mine. It's mine. Jesus said, it's not Nathan Irie's, it's Jesus' power. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John walking out one day and they see a lame man laying at the, at the gate of the temple. And the Bible says that fellow looked at, up at Peter and John and asked for alms. That's money. Hey, would you take care of a poor man, you know, like the homeless fellow that's standing at the, on the curb but down at Walmart, you know, please feed the hungry, feed the poor. Sure, the lame fellow laying at the temple gate. That's been around for a long time. Laying at the temple gate, asking for alms. And Peter looks down at him and says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ, of Nazareth. Oh, boy, that's very specific. He said, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he reaches down and he grabs the fellow by the hand and he lifts him up. And about the same time that he lifts him up, the Bible said that his ankle bones received strength and he leaped up, praising God with a loud voice. Boy, if you hadn't been able to walk for a long time, if we had some fellow come in here in a wheelchair... I'm not talking about a Benny Hinn special or a Kenneth Copeland where we slap them on the forehead and they fall back. I don't know if you've seen that video on YouTube where Kenneth Copeland goes through and finds a fella in a wheelchair and smacks him on the head and knocks the guy backwards on stage, live TV. Serves the faker right. Amen. Well, that probably grieves some of you, but that'll be all right. You, you'll make it. Uh, but that's all they are. They're just fakers. But... Peter and John wasn't fakers. You, you say, how do you know that they wasn't fakers? Because uh, a little bit later, the Pharisees got a hold of them fellas, and they brought them in there, and they said, why y'all preaching in the name of Jesus Christ? And Peter and John looked at them and said, well, you know, you're just going to have to figure out whether it's right for us to serve you or whether it's right for us to serve God, but we're just going to keep serving God in the name of Jesus Christ. And them fellas, you know, got together and had a little huddle you know, they got together and they said, what are we going to do? They said, man, these boys have really done a mighty miracle. And we can't say nothing against it. You know how you know somebody's got power? Because as much as somebody wants to talk bad about it or say that it ain't so, it is so. They didn't heal that guy. Well, how do you explain the fact that the guy was lame and now he's not? I mean... You Pharisees, you've been walking past this guy for the last 20 years or however long you've been walking past him, probably ain't gave him two cents because that was their problem. That was why they hated Jesus Christ. You know, uh, you bring money into the church and then when it comes time for them to start passing out money, oh, no, we can't do that. Church, church too poor. Mm -hmm. So here's this lame fella laying at the door of the temple and... Peter and John come by and take care of it in two seconds, what the Pharisees refused to do in about 20 years. Oh, that, there ain't nothing to that. Well, how do you explain the fact that he ain't laying there no more? Oh, there's not anything to this Christianity. Well, how do you explain the fact that folks that were drunkards are now dry? You want to know how to turn Charlton County into a dry county? Get the drunkards saved. Yes, sir. Oh, we're going to pass some kind of legislation. I'm not necessarily against that, but I believe you're going about it the wrong way. 
Yes, sir. See, what you want to do, what a lot of Christians want to do, what a lot of professing Christians want to do is they want an excuse to get involved in politics. And I don't believe, I think this church understands that I don't believe that a Christian should not be involved in politics. I just don't believe that should be your first resort. Legislation is not going to fix much. You say, what's going to fix it? Right hearts. I just, I just don't like this Biden guy. I just don't like Kamala Harris. Well, I don't either. But eliminating, eliminating them from the candidacy is not going to fix anything because some, some other idiot will replace them. You say, how do we fix it? Get people's hearts right with God. Sure, get people's hearts right with God. Oh, yeah, boy. We're not, you know, it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to use a pulpit. It doesn't make sense to use a pulpit as a platform on who to tell people to vote for. I mean, since we're here, let's just go ahead and elaborate a second. I, I'm not going to tell you that you have to vote for Donald Trump. You probably should, but I'm not going to tell you that you have to. That's not a... That's not a requirement of church membership. Somebody is crazy enough to vote for Biden and they want to join the church, fine. Boy, that, that rocks some of your boats. Can somebody vote for Biden and still be saved? Absolutely. Of course, I don't think you can be a very good Christian and vote for Biden, but that, you'll have to work that out with the Lord. You know what the problem needs to be fixed is? It's not your voter's registration card. It's your heart. Boy, that's good preaching even if I am doing it, even if you are quiet too. That's true. What needs to be fixed is your heart. Oh, Christians really need to get a hold of America. No, God needs to get a hold of a lot of people is what he needs to do. You know, you want, you want to see things turn around in your country and you want to see this great mighty revival in America, and I do too, but it ain't going to start unless it starts in your heart first. Yes, sir. You say, why? Because this thing that has gotten a hold of us, lest I say we got a hold of it, the thing that's gotten a hold of us is a religion of power. And that's what, that's what God does. God takes the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and exerts a power over the people that fall under its influence. When we talk about exerting the power, we're not talking about... Uh, standing in front of a locomotive and stopping it like Superman. You, you try and do that in, in the, with the power of the gospel, I got news for you, you're going to be a pancake. That, that's not the kind of power that we're talking about. We're not talking about power to jump over skyscrapers. We're not talking about power to, uh, you know, do all this superhero stuff. There's so much that's made out of all this superhero stuff. That's light stuff. The power that we're talking about is power to get your life straight. Listen, uh, what, what good would it do if you could pick up a two-ton vehicle with one pinky, but you couldn't stop drinking liquor? Couldn't stop gossiping about your neighbor. Here's old Samson. Old Samson, boy, he got the muscles. A lot of people paint him up to be this, you know, Hulk Hogan sort of figure. I don't believe that. I believe he was skinny like me. 
I really believe when you look at Samson, boy, that old Samson, man, he just looked like a scrawny old skinny fella. But he had power. I'm talking about physical strength. Bible said he got under, how do you get under a gate? But that's what the Bible said. He got under the gates of a city one time and just <clears throat> got up and walked out. Walked out. They locked the gates of the city because they didn't want him to get outside. They was trying to lock him inside. He got underneath them gates and just carried them off and just walked off right with them on his shoulders. You know what he was doing in that city when they locked him in? He was messing around with a harlot. Let me ask you something. What good, what good is it going to do if you can put the gates of a city on your shoulder, but you can't quit flying with harlots? You know what got Samson in a mess? It wasn't, it wasn't the fact that he lost his power. That was the effect of the thing. He lost his power because of something. You say, what was the something? He's messing around with somebody that he shouldn't have been messing around with, Delilah. He got his head in the lap of a lady, and we call that the devil's barber shop. He went and got him a haircut in the devil's barber shop. Yes, sir. But he was a strong man, Brother Nathan. Big deal. Oh, Brother Nathan, I'm really smart. Well, we might contest that. We might could have an argument about that. Let's say that you are. Just for sake of argument, let's say you're really smart, but you ain't got no power over the devil. I'm not talking about this foolishness of tying my hands behind my back and I kick the devil off the platform. With wood. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is being subject to the Lord Jesus Christ and God granting you protection. God granting you uh, oversight, I guess is the way to put it. Because he's one of your children. Or because you're one of his children. I'm really smart. What's all that smartness going to do for you in the day that death comes knocking at your door? Uh, let, let me just remind you something this morning. Anybody remember Job? Otherwise known as Job. Most Americans don't know about Job because it looks like Job. And nobody likes to work these days. I mean, hey, let's, you know, let's take Biden's, you know, uh, worker, uh, not workers' comp, but unemployment checks. I mean, that pay us more to stay at home than we'd actually get paid to go to work. Anyways, kind of makes me bitter when Dairy Queen employees is trying to run you out of Dairy Queen an hour and a half before closing time because they're just sorry sacks kind of makes me a little upset. I want to enjoy my ice cream in Dairy Queen's lobby. Kind of make you want to just stand right there and pour it right out on the floor. No, you don't do that. Don't, don't do that. That's not right. You might want to do that, but don't do that. <clears throat> Where was I going with all this? I got distracted with Dairy Queen. Dairy Queen kind of makes me hungry. Old Job, yeah, thank you. Old Job. Job had a, Job had a bunch of stuff. Job had all this material wealth. The Bible said that Job was the richest man in the part of the, of the world where he lived. And all it took was for the devil to just come to him one day and say, hey, it's time for me to collect. Well, what right do you have to do that? God gave me permission. Time to collect. Took everything that he had, including his family. Including his family. Left his wife. 
left his wife. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you say, you say that, but <laughs> hey, you say that, you say that, but you know, that wife that he left, that wife that he left, she, that was about the same, that was the attitude. That was the attitude. She said, uh, after, after, God, after God let the devil take everything, everything that he had, and then turn around and gave him permission to take his health, his wife said, you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. I'm really smart, Brother Nathan. I got a lot of money. Man, I hope you get all the money you can get, legally at, at least. I mean that. I don't recommend cheating on your tax return. <clears throat> they deserve it. They deserve it. You put that all over the Internet. IRS deserves to be cheated. But don't do it. Don't do that. Amen. Boy, we hit a little stump right there. I'm not sure with what statement we hit a stump. Either the fact that they deserved it or don't do it. But both of it's true. Don't desert, don't, don't cheat on your taxes. I got all this money, Brother Nathan. Let the devil get a hold of you. <clears throat> all it takes, just a little bit of trouble. See, all that stuff is not going to deliver you in the day of death. All that stuff is not going to take care of you. You say, what's going to take care of me in the day of death? Religion of power. Yes, sir. Christianity. It's Christianity. That's the only thing that's going to give you any deliverance. For all the grief that Christianity gets, boy, uh, we, uh, we've zoomed through the time. We sure have. For all the grief that Christianity gets, you know, Christianity's produced some of the greatest things. It has produced the greatest things in this world. The country that you're a part of right now, which I take everybody in here to be a citizen of the United States, but the country that you're a part of right now, it's the best country in the world right now. Not without its faults. Not without its faults. It has plenty of fault, but it's the greatest country on the earth right now. I don't know how long that's going to last, but it's the greatest country on the face of the earth right now. So I don't believe that. Gate test. Open the gates and let's see which way people are going. But, oh, uh, you know how this country was made? It wasn't made by Buddhists. It wasn't made by Muslims. It was made by little Puritan preachers who was down in the belly of the Mayflower. And before they disembarked from the ship, they got down on their knees and said, God, we're getting ready to come into this new world. And Lord, we pray. I'm paraphrasing. But Lord, we pray that you'd use our efforts for the furtherance of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of them didn't make it through that first year. <laughs> uh, you say, what made this country what it is? The Bible? Amen. Christianity? That's what, that's what made it. That's what made it. Boy, if Christianity can make a good country, not without its faults, but if it, and, and has always had faults, has always had problems. I'm not, I'm not saying that America has ever been perfect. That would be a very foolish statement. George Washington was not a perfect man, contrary to what a lot of Christians believe. He had some severe faults. John Adams had a lot of faults. Thomas Jefferson had a lot of faults. 
But you know what they were? In general, they were men that had a reverence for that book. They had an understanding. Really, uh, I'm not so sure uh, many of the founding fathers were born again, legitimately had the new birth. I'm not sure about that. I, I don't believe that many of them did. But I believe that a lot of those founding fathers who were not born again had a better understanding of Christianity and Christian principles than a lot of professing saved folks do today. Oh, I'm a Christian. You don't even come to church. You don't even come to Sunday school. You don't even come to Wednesday night church service. You believe what you want to believe. Uh, boy, we've kind of gotten into a little political spiel here, but that's okay. I'm not afraid to mix religion and politics. Uh, I don't believe personally that Benjamin Franklin was saved. I, I really personally don't believe that he's saved. Now, I got some reasons for believing that. But Benjamin Franklin had a better understanding of Christianity than most independent Baptist Christians that I know right now, today. Benjamin Franklin was good friends with George Whitfield. That don't make him saved, but opened up his house to George Whitfield, said, anytime you need a place to stay when you're in the area, come on by and I'll put you up. George Whitfield took him up on it several times. Hell would freeze over before many independent Baptist people would put a preacher up in their house. Hell would freeze over. <laughs> oh, I don't need a place to stay. I'm just saying that's, that's a fact. That, that's a fact. Christianity produced a great country. Christianity produced the greatest organism that has ever existed. You say, what is that? The church? The church. You say, what made this? You look around in here and this morning and a lot of folks got suits and ties on and, and a lot of ladies dress real nice and uh, all that stuff. They, these are some of the, not without their faults, not without their faults, but this is the best group of people that there are. You say, who are these people? The church. This is a local church. But I, this is a local representation of the greatest people that exist on the face of the earth right now. Well, I know, I know the president of the United States. Big deal. You're just saying that because Biden's in office. I'd say it if Trump was in office. And I like Trump. I really did. Still kind of like him. The greatest people sitting right here in this building. I got more. I got more respect. I got more uh, of an endearing attitude towards preachers than I do politicians. Amen. You say what? You say what? Because that's what Christianity does. It has power to it. Let's see what the United States government can do as far as making people that are as lovely as Christians are. Well, I've known some Christians that are, that are mean. I do too. I've probably known more mean Christians than any one of you sitting in here with maybe the exception of one or two of you. I'm not just, I'm not just talking out the side of my mouth. I mean that. I've traveled around the country. I, I know many Christians that say they're saved and just mean as a two-headed snake. But I'm telling you, comparatively speaking, comparatively speaking, compared to the amount of people that would help you out. They say, hey, man, I'm saved. I love the Lord. And they help you out. 
Maybe they wouldn't do everything for you that you'd like for them to do, but these are the best people that there are. I've never known anybody that I ever worked with out at the prison that would give you the shirt off their back, but I could give you right now, just off the top of my head, I could give you 10 people that are saved and on their way to heaven, give you the shirt off their back if they knew you needed it. Amen. Off the top of my head, I could name them. Amen. Never known one person working out at the prison. I've never known a mason that would do that. Oprah Winfrey sure wouldn't do that. Oh, Oprah Winfrey feeds all these poor little orphan kids out in Africa. She's doing that for publicity. Oprah Winfrey hates everything that you stand for. She hates Christians. She hates church. She hates preachers. She hates them. She don't just dislike preachers. She hates them. You say, how do you know that? Just pull her up on YouTube and spend an hour or so just cruising through videos and just look. Just look at what she says. And there's airheaded, brainless, professing Christians that spend every day watching the Oprah Winfrey show. Oh, she's so inspirational. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. Or you're lost. Let's just put it that way. You're just lost. Oh, you offended me, Brother Nathan. If you like Oprah Winfrey and you say that you're a Christian. Now, if you're lost and you like Oprah Winfrey, I can understand. It's not right, but I can understand. But if you say you've been saved by the grace of God, you say you've been born again, you say that God has worked in your life the change that he's worked in all these people that's sitting in here. And one of those changes, by the way, is that he puts a love in your heart for the brethren. And then you can look at a lady like Oprah Winfrey and say, oh, yeah, I love her. You're out of your ever-loving mind. You're lost and on your way to hell. That's just all there is to it. I don't care how you feel about that stuff. That's just that's the way it is. I don't think I can deal with a preacher that, that's that dogmatic. Your Bible's that dogmatic. That's the way that it is. That's the way that it is. I understand that that kind of talk is not popular, but that's why we're in the shape that we're in today. Oh, we've really made progress, have we? To where we're looking at boys and they don't know whether they're boys or girls and we're looking at girls and they don't know whether they're boys or girls. We've really made a lot of progress, haven't we? It seems like to me when your mama, when your, when your mama's grandmother was living in this country and she had nothing more than a dirt floor and a straw broom, it seems like to me this country was in better shape than it is now. You say, how did the country get in such great shape at that time? All they had was a Bible and an old gospel preacher that said, hey, if you trust Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ to bring in the gospel broom. Start cleaning your life out. Got to get out that drunkenness. Got to get out those drugs. Got to get out that pornography. Got to get out all that trash, that filth. Got to clean your life up because there's power. There's power. There's power. It's a religion of power. So, well, I got my sacraments and I got, you know, I got my, uh, my, uh, I don't even know what they, they call them. Uh, my, I got my catechism that I've memorized. Well, man, if you can memorize all that, that, that catechism, why can't you memorize some scripture? Amen. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. You know what will clean you up this morning? God. God's book, 
God's religion. That's what will clean you up. Yes, sir. You don't have to take my word for it. You take, take God's word to it for it. Well, we've got 10 minutes left. Let's, let, me, let me see here. I've, done, I've only got a third of the way through my notes. I might just make this a long Sunday school. No, we won't, we won't do that. Let me say this. The Bible says here in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. You know, if you're sitting in here and you trusted Christ as your Savior, you got power. Did you know that? You say, I don't feel like I got power. You got power. It's very possible the reason you don't feel like you got power is because you've not been taking advantage of it. But if you're saved, and that's a big if. That's a big if. That's a big if. You say, how big is it? It's as big as whether or not you trusted Jesus Christ as the payment for your sins in the sight of God. It's that big. You say, well, I think I'm going to justify myself in the sight of God. I'm counting on something that I've done or something that I am doing right now to justify me in the sight of God. You are lost. That's all there is to it. Now, if you trust in what Jesus did for you and, and in trust in Christ and what he did for you at Calvary and you've called on him, you've called on him. God, I'm a sinner. I know Jesus Christ died for my sins. I want you to save me. If you called on him, the Bible says you've got power. You say, what kind of power, Brother Nathan? You've got power to become the sons of God. That's wonderful. That's great. That's wonderful. You know what comes along with that sonship? Leadership. Look over in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. We'll have to skip some verses that I got written down here, but look over in Romans chapter 8. We won't skip this one. Romans, Romans chapter 8. I know it's in here somewhere. It was here this morning. Romans chapter 8. Look in verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So I'm a son of God, Brother Nathan. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. Praise the Lord. You know what comes along with that? Leadership of the Holy Spirit. Yes, sir. Now listen, if you, if you haven't been saved, if you haven't trusted Christ, you know what you do not have? You do not have the power. You don't have the power to be the son of God. You don't have the power. Let me put it in relation to Romans chapter 8. You don't have the power to be led by the Spirit of God. You don't have that power. You don't have that power. I just don't feel like I'm under conviction about that. That might be because you're not a son of God. getting ready to do something. Brother Nathan, I think I'm getting ready to do this. Preacher, I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this. Have you prayed about it? Well, no. Why not? Why not? I, I just don't get anything out of it. Why? You don't get no leadership out of prayer? Sounds to me like you like some power. You like the power to be the son of God. I don't much buy into this religion that says, oh yeah, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. And then you just go on and live the same old way that you've ever lived without any kind of repercussion, without any kind of chastisement from God. You know what scares me about professing Christians that don't serve God? It's not the fact that trouble starts coming in their life, it's when the trouble doesn't show up. Yes, sir. 
You start, you say, I'm a son of God. I've been born again. I've been born again. John chapter 3, I've been born again. And then you go live like a reprobate and nothing ever happens to you. There's no kind of chastising hand from God, hand of God. There's no kind of judgment in your life. I said, there's no kind of judgment in your life. And you say that you say, I question it. Well, who are you to question it? The Bible says, by your fruits ye shall know them. I am told to make that judgment call. I'm told to make that judgment call. I can't put you in heaven or hell, but all I can see, God looks on the heart. I, I was walking out of the prison one day. I've told this here before. I was walking out of the prison one day, and there's a little black girl standing behind the counter, and she let a pretty vile cuss word come out of her mouth. Out of her mouth. Out of her mouth. And I was the chaplain at the time. She said, oh, she said, I'm sorry, chaplain. She said, but God knows my heart. I said, I know. That's why you should be afraid. And I kept walking. Out of the abundance of the heart, the heart, the mouth speaketh. Whatever you let come out of your mouth, there's a whole lot more of that in your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What's coming out of your mouth is just a little bit of what's in there. That's why when people talk, don't talk about Jesus and all they talk about is me, 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 I know that there's a whole lot of me down there. Don't you ever talk about Jesus? Boy got a lot of liberty this morning. I'm really tempted to just preach another hour, but I'm not going to do that. I will let Brother Seth preach. Uh, but, you know, people come to church and find it very difficult to talk about Jesus. Talk about NASCAR, talk about hunting, talk about fishing, talk about current events. I'm not, I'm not saying you can't talk about that stuff. I'm not saying you can't talk about that stuff at church. But, you know, when we gathered here at church, we didn't gather to talk about all that stuff. We gathered to talk about Jesus. She said, no, Brother Nathan, we came so that you could talk about Jesus. That's your first mistake. You probably got a lot more coming behind that if that's the attitude that you got. But your, your attitude is wrong. We didn't come for just a preacher to talk about Jesus. It'd be a great blessing if somebody else stood up sometime in a church service and said, hey, I was reading my Bible this week, and God showed me this. Of course, most people sitting in the church would probably say, huh? They probably wouldn't understand what you're talking about because it probably just meant something to you. But that's okay. At least God's dealing with you. Sure. They're led. They're led by the Spirit of God. Yes, sir. Have you read your Bible this week? Have you read your Bible this week? No, I haven't read my Bible this week. Why not? I just, I'm just not interested. Why? Why? Uh, listen, I've been in the situation to where you open up your Bible, and it really seems more like a chore than a delight. I've been there. I've been there. I've been there, been there, been there. Can't emphasize to you how much I've been there. But I tell you what, it's not been that way every time. And it's not that way most of the time, I'd even say. When you open up your Bible, you know what you're getting ready to do? You're getting ready to expose yourself to some direction from God. Yes, sir. I just don't feel like God talks to me. You have a problem. You know what the problem is? You ain't got no power. Are you saying I'm not saved, Brother Nathan? You, you take, take it however you want to take it. You take it however you want to take it. But, boy, there's something wrong. There's something wrong if you get down to pray 
and there's nothing on the other side. Getting ready to go to Delaware this week and going to preach to some young folks. And one of the messages that the Lord dealt with my heart about was Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. He said, how much more shall the blood of Christ purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living and true God? A lot of folks have never gotten in touch with the blood of Jesus Christ. And as a result, all they got is a conscience that's operating towards dead works. The Bible says that when you get saved, the blood of Jesus Christ, God takes the blood of his dear son and applies it to your heart, applies it to your soul, and he washes you clean. And there's a livening, there's a, there's a quickening of that conscience. And now when you serve, it's not a conscience of serving towards dead works. It's a conscience of serving the living God. Hey, I'm doing this because I'm serving the living God. Whatsoever you do, whether it eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. How come you Christians always bow your head and thank God? Because everything that we do, we do it with conscience toward God. When I got saved, God became real to me. He became real. He's become more real as time has gone on. But boy, the day that God dealt with my heart and showed me I was a sinner and on my way to hell, God rattled my cage. God rattled my soul to the core. And it's been real ever since. Ever since. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Father, Lord, we thank you. God, thank you for your goodness this morning. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you take what's said and God help us. Lord, God, it's a great life. Lord, this is a wonderful life. God, not without sorrows. God, not without trouble and tribulation. But God, Lord, I love being a Christian. I love this way as Paul termed it, God. And Lord, I pray that you take what's been said this morning and work on the hearts of these that have been here God, work on them and help them, Lord. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, right up on the hour. Take about five minutes and we'll get started this morning.